Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, data with your 2021 WWE Royal Rumble Ultimate Preview. That's right, we're just a couple hours removed from the go-home episode of Monday Night Raw, and we are here to break down everything that happened in WWE over the last week as the company prepares for its first major pay-per-view of the year, the Royal Rumble. We have a relatively tight window in which to complete today's show, so the Silver King is not going to waste any time. We're gonna get right to business, and getting to business on this show means I need to tell you, remind you, to follow us on Twitter, at Getting Overcast. Not only because we tweet during the shows and we release all of our episodes on Twitter so you know when the latest show is out, but because we do pre and post show polls ahead of pay-per-views and we need your responses for our post show instant analysis that is taped as soon as those pay-per-views go off the air. So do not forget to follow us on Twitter so we can get your feedback. It's also exactly the place where you can send us DMs, you can send us questions through replies, and we will answer those questions on this very show. Also, head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love this damn professional wrestling audio. It is our goal to grow massively in 2021, and the best way we can do that is through word of mouth, both you telling your friends and leaving us that five-star rating with a review on the number one podcast platform. But we're also available on Spotify and Amazon and anywhere else you listen to podcasts, so you can subscribe anywhere. With that said, as I noted, we're going to jump right into it today. Of course, I'm the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. You can follow me on Twitter at Silverstein Adam, my co-host for these WWE shows, Vintage Chris Vanini. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Vanini. Chris, we got a lot of wrestling to talk about today, but the encompassing storyline, as it has been on this podcast over the last few weeks and definitely heading into this Royal Rumble is the constant, unavoidable differences in quality between SmackDown on Friday nights and Raw on Monday nights. And we talk about it frequently, but the booking this week stood out to me in particular because you need to think about what we saw Friday. There was a sit-in protest. The women's champion fought a sommelier. There was an obstacle course and the scheduled main event of the show was a match between Adam Pierce and Paul Heyman. And yet, despite all of that ridiculousness that I just told you, it was easily the best wrestling show, period, any brand of the week. Then you get to Raw on Monday, and were there a couple decent moments? Yes. But other than those moments, it was a relative unmitigated disaster, especially the first hour. Maybe there are people out there you know, unavailable due to COVID-19. So the roster is short on Raw. That's possible. But there were plenty of people on that show where you can book around it, provide interesting matches, make sure certain things go longer than other things. To me, the, the contrast between SmackDown and Raw, we've seen it over multiple weeks. But given the fact that SmackDown was not loaded by any means, and it did its best rating since March 2020, which is the road to WrestleMania. It just speaks to me to the overall 
drastic difference in quality that we get Fridays compared to Mondays. I, I don't even know how these shows are made by the same company. It, it's, it's, it's ridiculous to go from what we saw on Friday to what we saw on Monday. Just, it, it feels like two different companies almost. It, it's really stark uh, how, how, how different that is. And this weekend, I think really, really, we've talked about that a lot, but I think this weekend really highlighted that. That's why I think when people blanket say WWE sucks, either they're only watching Raw or they're not watching SmackDown or NXT. Like it, It's one of the two because you can't watch SmackDown week to week right now and say WWE sucks. You can say, hey, it's not as good as it used to be. That's fair, you know, with different strokes for different folks. But SmackDown most weeks, it's been the best show on television. Wrestling. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, the wrestling's good, but... The stories are good. The characters are good. It, it's it's everything. You know, what we got Friday on SmackDown, in a lot of cases, if, if you weren't paying attention and you looked at some of the things we were having, we were having somebody fight us, an intergender sommelier match, you're having a protest, you're having these weird things, but it worked. And it worked because they've consistently been giving us character motivations and explaining everything. And what we got on Friday was exactly what I want out of wrestling. Good wrestling, but also really fun and interesting stories and, and gags and stuff like that. You're right. And the crazy thing is, if everything that happened on SmackDown was booked on Raw with Raw's... I, I was told, I thought it's the same creative staff these days, but with that creative staff or whoever's writing over there or whoever's booking it, I don't know what is happening that's different on Raw. But if that same lineup was on Monday night, it may have been the worst show WWE's ever produced. Yet somehow it's on Friday night and it's a damn good show. It, it just, it doesn't make much sense unless you have like Bruce Pritchard where he's in charge of creative across the board, but he only really cares about SmackDown and someone else is in charge of Raw. I, I need to know what's going on inside because it just doesn't make sense that both, as you said, as I tweeted on Monday night, it doesn't make sense that both of these brands are the same company, even with Fox being quote unquote more important and therefore SmackDown them giving a little bit more effort. It still doesn't make sense that the disparity between the SmackDown and Raw quality, primarily storylines, not so much wrestling, the storylines, it, it makes no sense that it's that drastic. But as I said, we do have a long show here and a rare occasion on an ultimate preview we're actually going to hop into the main event. And the reason we have a main event is because it was announced Monday morning that the WWE Network has officially moved to Peacock. WWE will be making $1 billion over five years to effectively lease all of its content and all of its major pay-per-views in the United States to NBC Universal. Really, this is as much of a win-win-win as you can get. It's a win for WWE, it's a win for NBC, and it's a win for wrestling fans. It's rare that you get a triple whammy like that. For WWE, they're getting the equivalent subscription rate of about 2 million people when they right now have 1.13 million and it's not really growing in the United States. They also get exposed to another 22 million people who all have Peacock either because they subscribe to it or because they have Xfinity, which is 
I'm included among that. I have Xfinity for cable. And they did all of this and they're making all of this money without giving up international rights to the pay-per-views and the network. For NBC, they got a crap ton of content for a service in Peacock that badly needed some. They're able to insert ads into the content to generate more money. They increased their subscriber base by over a million. And they've solidified their relationship with a live content provider, which is becoming more and more important these days as we see you know, what type of content networks are paying for. And for fans, your WWE network subscription, if you decide to keep paying $9.99 a month, gets you a ton of more content, including The Office and Chris, more importantly, Parks and Recreation. And, but- and King of Queens. King of Queens is on Peacock. Love that show. It's a great Are you really point. putting that on the level of those uh, two shows? I am personally putting it on the level of those two shows. I actually, because it was a couple months ago, I looked on Peacock to see what was available of King of Queens on there. And I think only the first season was free and the rest you had to pay for. So I was kind of annoyed by it. But I guess this way I'll get it. Now. All right. You can flush King of Queens like a turd. It does not. It's not even in the same stratosphere as Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec is amazing. No doubt. No doubt. It's not. I mean, it doesn't even if you, if you were doing tiers of of. Uh, sitcoms like you got your Seinfeld and your curb you know tier one but Parks and Rec is a top tier two all-time sitcom I mean, yes I, agree. I totally even, agree totally agree all right let's not even try to diminish it with by no. mentioning Kings of Queens in the same sense it's like putting friends in there I'm just thinking about what I looked at the last time I went on Peacock to look for something that was what it was oh great okay they have <laughs> other they have other garbage programming on Peacock as well okay although Saved by the Bell not garbage seriously Very surprisingly good, but okay. But I digress, let's get back to it. If you want, instead of paying $9.99 and keeping the same WWE network you have and getting all of this other Peacock stuff ad-free, you can spend half, $4.99, and see occasional ads during content, which is what I've been doing, I guess, right now with my Peacock, because I'm currently an Xfinity subscriber, and they only give you the ad-supported version for free, but they only give you like three 30-second ads per show, so it's hardly cumbersome. You don't even really notice it. So you could possibly drop down to $4.99, and then if you're like myself, an Xfinity subscriber, you get the ad-free version, or sorry, the ad version completely free, and if you want to upgrade, you pay $5 a month. So as I said at the onset, it's a win for WWE, it's a win for NBC, and it's a win for the fans. The only negative, really, is the user interface, the UI of Peacock, is even worse than the WWE Network one. So that's going to be a little bit of a pain, especially considering how much content the WWE Network has. But with everything else, that's going to improve over time. So for me, Chris, I think this is a great situation. It's a great deal. I've yet to see someone truly criticize it, uh, at least someone with a brain cell that doesn't, that, that thing, oh, WWE's folding their network. Like, you know, anyone like that, you can't help them. But anyone with a brain cell on their head I think you see that this is a massive win for wrestling and for wrestling fans. Oh, yeah, it's a win for everybody for exactly what you said. You're going to be paying the exact, you could be paying the exact same price or half for what you're doing right now and get a load of other content with it. Or it, nothing. Or, or yeah, I mean, or, yeah, it's it's a complete win for you. You just, you get more. I, I've seen some people say, like I said, that the interface isn't good. Sometimes it's slow. We'll have to see. I think Fastlane is the first pay-per-view they're going to do on it, so we'll have to see how they handle a live event. I mean, we right. all remember the early days of, of the network. Um, so so it's, it's a win for us. It's a win for NBC because they are 
trying to put as much as I can on the streaming service. Um, if you follow sports, NBC Sports Network is going to close down at the end of the year. They are moving uh, a lot of their shows there over to USA or to Peacock, which could impact NXT as well, which is a whole other thing. Um, so, so now NBC's got a lot more to put on Peacock and sell to people. They've got a lot of wrestling fans who will come over to subscribe to them now. And if you WWE, it's another billion dollar rights deal. And, and you know, for, for all the talk about ratings that fans and all of us like to talk about, it really doesn't matter because you got to, this is a content industry and WWE has as much or more content than almost anybody. And that's why you're able to do a deal like this where it's a, it's a billion dollars for just five years. And it, it's, it's, it's a complete win for everybody. I, I think about, you think about college sports, the PAC 12 network made their own network while the big 10 network partnered with Fox, the SEC network partnered with ESPN. As a result, it's a lot easier to get SEC and big 10 network. And, and you get that content more while the PAC 12 has kind of been fledgling. I think this makes perfect sense for everybody involved. And it's, it's just a, a win, win, win. I didn't really have the sound drop I wanted, which is something all about the money or Shane McMahon's theme or whatever the case, but it's all about the money. It, it all in business, period, any business cares. Mo number one is the bottom line. And we talked about it when it came to WWE's releases, despite the absolutely shitty timing and really unacceptable timing of doing it amid a pandemic, but it's all about the bottom line. And you know, the SmackDown ratings are fine. Nothing's wrong with SmackDown, right? Raw on USA Network right now, it's not doing great, okay? It's, it's all-time historic lows. Yet, WWE just got a billion dollars from the same company seeing that flagship show do poor ratings, as you noted, for just five-year lease on their content. So it's a huge freaking win for WWE. I do wonder in some regards if this down the line at some point over these five years or at the end of the five years, maybe after three years and 10 months or whenever the Fox deal ends, if this potentially sets NBC Universal up to buy WWE straight up, because you look at them paying a million over five and you say, well, what's the actual value of WWE straight up? And I would really have to do some analysis and, and look at like the stock and what it's trading at. But I think it's probably around five or six billion dollars. And when you get three years into this deal, if it's working and you're NBC, I don't know why you don't make that move because clearly these individual streaming networks are where, where things are going. Uh, you know, you would think that we can get into a whole conversation, which we don't have time for, about how, you know, you used to pay for individual cable channels. Now you're paying for individual streaming networks. It's going to cost just as much in the long run. And maybe you're not even getting that much more content. That's a whole conversation for another day. But no matter what, these properties need to be purchased and bought up. And there's some, I think, like the NFL, where it makes sense to be over multiple networks because you're so big. And no individual network could probably pay you enough to get all of your content. But then you look at the WWE, the UFC, uh, AEW, certainly, although they're pretty much all set already on Turner. Even uh, some smaller sports like the MLS, the SEC just sold all of their rights 100% to ESPN for the first time ever. 
I think that's the way these things go. And whereas with sports leagues, you're not really going to see companies buy them. I do think too, where that's possible is UFC to Disney and WWE now to NBC Universal. And I think this may be a toe in the water towards that goal. Yeah, no, it, it could be. And it's it's different because in the NFL, you've got team orders and stuff like that, where in WWE, it's a publicly traded company and you know the big fans own, own the most of it. One, one other thing yeah. about ratings is that the Raw ratings are not good, but Raw is still one of the most watched things on television. Every oh, when the NFL it, it, when the is not on and when there's not major breaking, like first time ever use news in the United States. Raw is frequently one, yeah. two, and three in the demo on Monday. Yeah. So, so yes, when, when, when we're, if you're talking ratings up and down week to week, it, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. It's content. It's, it's highly rated content in the context of everything else. And that becomes more and more and more valuable with every year be, be, with DVRs and everything. Live events are the most valuable property you can have. That's why sports keep going up. That's yep. why WWE is going to keep going up while TV ratings go down and people cut the cord. That that is, is what it means. And, and WWE is not going anywhere unless it sells itself because it, it ain't you know falling apart. And people also don't really put into context that all ratings are going down. Now, yes, maybe WWEs are going down at 12% and Law and Order's ratings are going down at 5%, let's say. But across the board, NFL this year, NBA, MLB. Now, this was a little bit different because of the pandemic, but ratings tanked. And a large reason is because people are illegally streaming or or just generally streaming, which some of those get counted, some of them don't. I still don't really know how accurate those counters are. Um, and other people just, there's so much content out there now where you can watch, if you don't really like the NFL and it's not your team playing, you can go watch Queen's Gambit instead, right? Like there's there's so much other stuff out there. So I do think ratings across the board are going down. It doesn't necessarily matter what WWE's ratings are in that context. Certainly tanking is never good, but that's why we don't really talk about ratings much on this show. I occasionally mention them on the Thursday show when we talk AEW and NXT, primarily if I'm surprised. I'll say, wow, I'm really shocked that NXT won on this week of all weeks or AEW beat them by that much. It's more the margin I look at rather than, oh, well, this week SmackDown did 2.31 million and last week it did 2.28. Does that mean it's on an upswing? Like, I don't care. And I don't really think wrestling fans really need to care. Back in the day, the ratings mattered because it was the Monday Night Wars and it was a lot of tribalism. And I know people are still like that on Wednesdays. I just want to watch good wrestling. And ultimately, that's what this NBC Peacock deal has done for WWE. It's created an avenue for fans to continue getting good content, get more for their money. And it solidified WWE even more than it already was long-term. So that's why it's successful. I do have a DM slide about this. From Tristan Atalano at Atalano underscore Tristan. He said, do you think we see The Rock or someone of similar stature involved with WrestleMania this year? Arguably more people than ever will have Mania streaming. Some maybe not even realizing it until weeks leading up to the event through advertising. Seems like this Mania is a great opportunity for the WWE to get some new lapsed fans. So I don't think the WWE is going to bring The Rock back for a 22,000 seat mania in Tampa. It just doesn't make sense, even given the Peacock deal. But I do think that it makes it more likely we see the return of Brock Lesnar. Uh, Maybe, possibly John Cena. 
because there are matches that you can work with both of those guys. You could theoretically create John Cena versus the Fiend Bray Wyatt 2, where Cena somehow ends the Fiend. He needs to be the guy to end him. Or you can create non-title opportunities for Brock Lesnar. So I do think there is a significant possibility of that. I do think there's a possibility you see celebrities at WrestleMania from the NBC Universal universe, maybe the Fox universe as well. But I don't think we're going to get The Rock this year. Yeah, and this reminds me, I mean, going back to WrestleMania 30 was the first one on the network. And it's something that I feel like we don't talk about enough when talking about the streak. I believe that one of the reasons Vince McMahon changed his mind and had Brock Lesnar beat The Undertaker was because he wanted a splash, a major moment, major event to happen on the first, I think it was the first WWE Network pay-per-view, if I'm correct. I so, don't think it was the first pay-per-view, but it okay. was free. Yeah, so I, I think they wanted to make a big splash, and I think that's one of the reasons Vince McMahon decided to have Undertaker end the streak, because it was on the network. And along those lines, yeah, I think they'll do something. I, 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 I kind of always thought Brock would come back, but this makes it feel like it's more possible. Cena, somebody, I do, I, I don't know about the, like I said, probably not The Rock, but I do think they will try to get some more mainstream attention on it now because they've got more mainstream streaming covering it. And, yeah. you know, I know sometimes we get annoyed by that stuff at, at WrestleMania, but, you know, that's business. It doesn't seem like Lesnar return is returning just based on the fact he's not under contract. There's been no news about that. He is up in like Saskatchewan right now. And I don't like, you know, he, he has that big mountain man beard. I don't know if he's in shape. I mean, when I say in shape, I mean the wrestling shape that he likes to be in. But there is a scenario in which that could happen. We will talk about that a little bit later. But we did want to talk about Peacock before we got into everything. Now, the way we handle these Ultimate Preview episodes for those who may be new listeners since the last time we did one, is we talk about everything else that happened over the last week on the product before we get to everything that matters for the matches themselves that are scheduled for the pay-per-view. So we have five or six things to talk about as almost a pre-show, a kickoff show, leading into our Ultimate Preview. And then we will talk about the major matches, our predictions, and what we expect to happen, not only in those matches, but as we move forward with WWE storylines. So with that, let's jump into everything else that happened this week in WWE. And we'll start with the main event of Raw, where Asuka defended her women's championship against the fiend, Alexa Bliss. Uh, They replayed like half of Randy Orton's promo from last week before Bliss was in her playground, saying she wanted a new shiny toy and wasn't going to play nice. It was an improvement, I thought, over last week's segment, but it wasn't anything special. We get to the match. Asuka gets kicked out of the ring. She turns around. And Bliss is suddenly on a rocking horse in the ring. After commercial, the rocking horse is gone. I just thought that was, I mean, it was somewhat smart, but it's just incredibly dumb that they keep inserting it into the matches. Asuka was beating the hell out of her when Bliss's old music hit, and she reverted to looking like the goddess character. Bliss feigned like she was all disoriented, but then she sidestepped Asuka into the middle turnbuckle and became catatonic. The lights went out and she changed again this time becoming the Fiend version of Bliss, doing Bray Wyatt's spider in the corner, just like she did last week. Bliss then blocked everything, escaped a bunch of submissions from Asuka, and had the Mandible Claw locked in, looking like she's going to win the Raw Women's Championship. 
when all of a sudden Randy Orton suddenly appears behind her and hits the RKO, which was easily the best possible outcome for that entire segment. So we'll talk about exactly what's going to happen with Orton a bit later. But as far as this goes, despite all the hiccups and pieces of bad booking over the last few weeks, I thought this was a great way to ultimately establish Bliss being possessed by the Fiend without Bray Wyatt around, not using him as a crutch for the character. She got to do some work with the character. She's now stronger because of it. You have some curiosity about what version of Bliss you're going to see every time she enters the ring. And she did not beat Asuka for the Raw Women's Championship. So ultimately, a thumbs up. The way we got here, maybe not so great. I enjoyed what we got on Monday night from Alexa Bliss, Asuka, and Randy Orton. I love this. I love this so much. And correct me if I'm wrong. What we saw, we've seen Alexa Bliss turn into old Alexa Bliss, right? Recently. We saw her revert back to the pixie version that I think was in NXT. I don't think okay. we had previously seen her come back as the goddess. I remember what I was thinking. It was it was a match against um, uh, Nikki Cross, and she started crying and saying, help me, help me, basically. But then right. that kind of might have been a ruse, and then she beat Nikki Cross, if I recall correctly. Yes. This this was played much better because it, it, it showed that she's possessed. You saw the old Alexa Bliss in there, but it wasn't like a trick. It was the old Alexa Bliss still in there trying to get out briefly getting out before being overtaken by the other by the fiend again that that's what it needs to be it, I, I don't want it to be old alexa bliss is a trick i want old alexa bliss to act i want them to be two characters two different characters two different personalities and uh so that was really cool that that's that's the type of like really really deep character storytelling that we do not get in wrestling and and, and alexa bliss Every single week, she is great in these roles. She's just being a great actress, essentially. And so I I really liked that. I liked how they switched things up. And again, you're in the Thunderdome. You got no fans. You can get a little bit cinematic with things. And, and they've done that here and there. And this was an example. Uh, yeah, it's not live, but it's fine. It works. You're telling a story. And then, yeah, for Randy Orton to pop up, Face still burned. I was. We were curious what he would look like. I think it looked great. You get the RKO. Great finish. A-plus stuff all around. I look at it like this. We got tired of cinematic matches. They stopped doing cinematic matches. But they are utilizing the Thunderdome and the situation they're in without fans to their advantage to do certain things that they couldn't otherwise do. Yeah. Whether it's someone being flung over a, a barricade into something that otherwise couldn't happen or something like this or the stuff with the fiend, burning the fiend alive, which you could never do in front right. of a live audience because it wouldn't work that way, right? So look, we say it every single time we talk about the fiend on the show and I'm not going to keep repeating it really past this, but if you don't like the fiend, then you didn't like this and I get it and there's no convincing you otherwise. As someone who likes the fiend, whenever it is removed from the title picture, I was very concerned here. I wasn't freaking out like I saw some people were freaking out online until Alexa Bliss had the mandible claw. <laughs> and even going into this match, and I don't think this was anything that was unexpected by anyone, I expected this match would end with Randy Orton RKOing Alexa Bliss. But they did such a good job of making me forget that was my expectation 
that by the time Randy Orton showed up, I'm like, oh yeah, right. Like, of course this is going to happen, right? And then he just absolutely nails her and she sells it like death. I loved it. It was really a strong end to Raw, especially coming out of a number of weeks where it was pretty weak. I mean, the Luchador mask last week and Asuka being scared of Bliss. I explained why it was okay that Asuka was scared of Bliss. But is it ideal for her to be scared of Bliss? No, it's really not. So they wrapped it up in a little bit of a bow. I think, I hope they can now extract Asuka from the equation, have it, you know, completely be this Bray Wyatt, Fiend, Alexa Bliss, Randy Orton storyline. I think that can manifest itself on the pay-per-view Sunday night, which we'll talk about. But I like this. And as far as I'm concerned, this was ultimately a win on a show that did not have many of them. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I, I'm I'm curious. Yeah, I mentioned Nikki Cross. I we haven't seen her in a you know long time. I would um I would love if if this Alexa Bliss stuff turns into a storyline where she's trying to get her friend back. You know, I I think they set that up, especially with what they did yesterday of the idea that they're the old Alexa Bliss is in there somewhere. Can I tell you an unexpected pairing I would absolutely love? I would love to see Randy Orton team up with Nikki Cross. Yeah. I would I would love to see a mixed tag team storyline with those four where Orton almost recruits Cross and helps twist her into like his version, like like you know what I mean, like a Viper version of Nikki Cross mm-hmm. where she's able to handle Bliss and maybe to help her save her friend where then Orton is there to kind of take down the fiend and they work together. It helps Nikki Cross change her character. Uh, it gives her motivation and reason to be on television. Eventually, p- perhaps they even lose. Randy Orton can be off TV for some time. There's a million different things that they can do, but that idea of those two just randomly kind of joining up and something working between them. And, and you know, Nikki can play crazy. You know, she's pretty good and she can certainly wrestle. Mm-hmm. There's something there. I don't know if they're going to do it, but I just think there's something there that would work. We have a lot more to talk about, though, so let's keep moving. I want to talk about one of the other good things that happened on Raw, which was the Riddle versus Hurt Business gauntlet match. I like this booking idea going into Raw, but they've now officially reached their maximum of two gauntlet matches on the road to WrestleMania. No more. That's it. I mean, as long as they don't do any more, it's okay, right? Um, Otherwise, it's just going to be ridiculous. So... VIP Lounge came first on Raw with her business putting themselves over. Cedric Alexander was causing more dissension. MVP was gifted a necklace. And after all that happened, R-Truth entered. I thought they were going to put the 24-7 title on MVP, which is something we've talked about on the show for months. So all of those guys have gold and the rest of her business can protect MVP. Yep. So you can just hold on to the title forever, right? Or for a long time. But instead, the 24-7 guys just got beaten up and Riddle was able to hit MVP with a final flash knee strike before anything began. Later in the show, they did the gauntlet match. Riddle and Benjamin started off. It was fantastic as one would expect. Great wrestling, a ton of counters. Alexander tried to interfere. He accidentally cost Benjamin the fall. MVP was incensed as Riddle hopped on Benjamin's shoulders and then rolled him over for the one, two, three. MVP tried to settle the beef when the bell rang for the second match. Riddle just grabbed his leg, hit a, I think it was a heel hook submission, got the win. So then you get Riddle and Alexander in the third match. They put in good work also. They exchanged like a German suplex and a brain buster. Alexander powered out of two triangles, but Riddle countered twice and then folded him up for the win. Lashley ran down after the match and put Riddle 
in the Hurt Lock on the ramp. So this was very entertaining uh, for me from start to finish. I'm not going to complain too much because neither of the roll-ups were cheap. They were more pinning combinations than they were just the stupid, let me you know put one arm between your legs and roll you over. So at least there was some technicality to it. It would have been nice to have seen Riddle finish one of those guys with the floating bro or Bo Derek or any of his finishers. It would have been nice to see him hit one on one of them. But there's really no harm in him winning this match, building him up. I saw people criticizing that they put Riddle over all three mem- three of the four members of her business. Who cares? I mean, Riddle is a mid-carder. Those guys are all mid-carders or low-carders. So I saw no issue with it. You need to build this guy up if he's going to get a United States championship match. And in my opinion, you know this, Chris. I've been saying it for two months. Riddle needs to be the United States champion. So I think they're building it up so he has to win this from, from Lashley. Yeah, I, I mean, that seems to be where it's going. I, I, I thought it was fine. I, I, It was weird in the context of the entire show, which we'll kind of talk about the other parts, which was that there were a lot of multi-matches within matches, you know, restarts, tag matches, gauntlet matches. They really stretched everything they could have uh, out of this show, and this was one of those. So it, it was hard not to... Think about that in the context of the whole show and how the whole show played out. But in just the context of this story, yeah, it worked. We're, we're trying to get rid of Lashley, uh, and this is a great way to set that up. Now, could you have, say, had Alexander win the final match, and that adds to the story of Alexander being overconfident, feeling like he's the best member of the group? Yeah, but that's not the story we're telling right now. The story we're telling right now is Riddle versus Lashley, and this gets us there. It does, Exactly. Uh, speaking of mid-card titles over on SmackDown, Big E fought Apollo Crews again for the Intercontinental Championship. Sami Zayn handcuffed himself to the entrance ramp early in the show while his documentary crew stood nearby. He entered the Royal Rumble and then stayed in that position for most of the first hour. This match started hot like their last one with Crews nearly getting a fall after a standing moonsault. But after only a couple of minutes, Zayn uncuffed himself, hit the huluva kick on both guys. I thought it was really shitty to promote a title match and not deliver either a good match or a finish. Now we've had three matches on two shows between these guys with no real resolution. There was some, I guess, some level of resolution on Talking Smack where Paul Heyman really juiced Cruz up into being angry at Sami Zayn. Uh, Cruz promised to beat Zayn's ass and then take the Intercontinental title off of Big E. So you have to assume the expectation here is they're going to do a triple threat match of some kind with these three. I don't know why the need is there for Zayn to insert himself when he's been losing and the documentary thing is is really pretty good as a new gimmick, as a, as a tweak to his gimmick. I don't know why you can't just give us a Big E versus Apollo Crews 15 to 17 minute singles match and let Big E beat Apollo Crews. Now, might they take the title off Big E for other reasons? That's something we can discuss later. But I just don't get why we can't get this match on TV. And I was pretty frustrated at this. It wasn't bad, but for SmackDown being so good, for them to not deliver on this, I just thought was unfortunate. Yeah, because I thought they had built it pretty well over the last couple of weeks. You know, I, I know you didn't really like the Big E Apollo Crews tie and then Big E gets the win afterward. I liked it, though. And I liked what Apo- they added to Apollo the next week and Big E and Apollo on, on, on Talking Smack stuff. Um so I thought it had been built up pretty well. And so, yeah, it was kind of disappointing to get a ref stoppage to end this. I thought the Sami Zayn protest 
was hilarious and yeah. an example of how you have characters interact with other characters outside of their own storyline by having Sammy outside the ring for other parts of the show and, you know, saying something to Sasha Banks as she walked down. Like, that's good. That worked. And the best part was that he had a point. You know, he lost via tights after he didn't get after after he couldn't. So it, it he had a case to make, which is what you always want. So everything was set up really well. And yeah, it was kind of disappointing to to get it like this. So, you know, as of this moment, they're, they're not scheduled to fight again at uh, at um, Royal Rumble. So I, I'm not really sure what happens next, but they've done a really good job building up Cruz over the last couple of weeks. And this felt like the kind of Apollo Cruz finish we got back when he was U.S. champion on Raw. And I, I think it was a step backward. It was. And, and if they had done this for the initial feud, the initial time they saw each other, then I would have been okay with it. But this is now twice that we've basically gotten a match without getting a match. I know Biggie did beat Cruz eventually that other time, but it's just, it's start and stop. It's, it's, it's annoying. It's basically, Hey, we want this feud to continue, but we aren't going to have a match at the Royal Rumble. So we need to kind of almost figure out a way to skip ahead a couple of weeks and make sure that we keep building this match so we can have it at elimination chamber or, on a SmackDown main event or something like that. Now, look, if I get a 20-minute Biggie Apollo Crews main event match on SmackDown in two weeks, am I going to complain about that? No, I'm not, right? I'm going to be very happy about that. But you can still figure out other creative ways. Maybe just put off the match and have them in a tag team match this week or have them interact backstage or have Sami Zayn build up dissension between the two, talking to them individually. There's so Because they're still not enemies yet, Biggie and Apollo. They're still kind of frenemies right? They're, they're, they're friends, but in significant competition with one another. So I think there's so many other ways that you could have developed this as opposed to just giving us a match and barely giving us a match and no real finish. It's, it's frustrating for me, but we got more to talk about here. Going back to Raw, Mustafa Ali cut a promo in the, I think it was the Tropicana um, parking garage. Yeah, that's what I thought. It was kind of- On, yeah, on Kofi Kingston, taking- everything away from him by getting his gauntlet match spot a couple of years ago on the road to WrestleMania. This was a 90 second promo that went more in depth on social media. It was really good. And I think they aired less than 30 seconds on TV. So on one hand, am I happy that they're starting to put these on TV? Yes. It's something I've been asking for on this show for a long time, especially when it comes to Ali. Would, yeah, I, like them, would, yeah. would I like them to air at least 50% of the promo? Yes, I would. Sure. <laughs> and, and, you know, we saw it last week. We, we weren't sure if they put it on Raw because it got social media traction beforehand. But credit to Mustafa for being creative. He's going to different parts of this giant stadium there and cutting different promos. Yeah. And it just it feels different as opposed to everybody doing it in the backstage ring or, or something like that. So I don't know if he just has time on his hands and he's trying different things out. But if he is, good for him. I like it. And and Kofi Kingston is replying in the same way with, with a social media Twitter video probably as well. I have that audio and we will get to that momentarily. Yeah. So it, it, it's just guys, it's guys, it feels like guys that are trying to just kind of push their way in to make you pay attention to them by doing different things. And it's working. They are. And Ali has done a really good job of that, actually dating all the way back to 205 Live. Yeah. When when we've been talking about Ali on this podcast, on my old podcast, just letting this guy go, this is what he's able to do. These types of high quality promos, the great work he did in the ring. We had Slapjack defeat Xavier Woods. Ali sent T-Bar in to distract Woods. 
but Woods basically hit a shining wizard for the win on Slapjack. Uh, Woods escaped Mace, but caught a boot from T-Bar, then ate like a way too long delayed double sit-down chokeslam in the ring. Ali threatened to hit Woods with a steel chair. Instead, he sat down on the chair and said, Woods talks about wanting to be king of the ring, but he's actually a peasant. Ali said he was showing him mercy so he could tell Kofi Kingston that Ali is going to be the one replacing him in the Royal Rumble, which is a really nice touch and a nice storyline callback to, as he mentioned in his promo earlier, Kingston replacing him in the gauntlet match. So after Raw went off the air, and again, this is something that's a little bit tough because it's done after the show went off the air and you now have seven days until the next one. So is WWE going to put this on TV? No, they're not. But Kofi Kingston, what looked like from his gym, wearing a WrestleMania sweater, cut a promo on Mustafa Ali. And I'm going to play you that promo right now. I just watched Raw. And Ali, I'm not really concerned about what you said. I'm really more concerned about what you did. Four men versus one. Four versus one, Ali. You are a coward. You're a coward. You said that I had the greatest moment of my life because you had your worst. You said that I had my moment at WrestleMania because I took your spot at the Elimination Chamber. Ali, what did you think was going to happen, man? What did you think was going to happen? What did you think you were going to put a cardboard cutout of you and your pod to represent you because you couldn't make it or what you thought they were going to cancel the entire pay-per-view because you got hurt, Ali? No, that's not the way that it works, man. You got hurt. They needed someone to replace you and that somebody was me because you got hurt. And I'm not going to apologize. I'm not going to take the blame. Honestly, you should be blaming yourself. You should be blaming yourself for your shortcomings, and you should be blaming yourself for not being able to achieve what you set out to achieve, not achieving your own goals. That's on you, Ali, nobody else. That's what I did for 11 long, hard years. That's what I did is I blamed myself for all the obstacles that were placed before me that stood between myself and the WWE Championship. I blamed myself. Case in point 2009 when I had my head ran headfirst into the steel steps before getting into the elimination chamber and having my spot stolen. I didn't blame anybody else. No. Hard work, dedication, perseverance, sacrifice, and a little bit of luck. And I was able to achieve my dream, my childhood dream. Even if it was a decade later, I was able to do that. That's what I did. What I didn't do was blame other people, Ali. I didn't blame anybody else. I didn't take this root of cowardice. Four men versus one. They put hands on my boy. You crossed the line. I keep saying it, and I don't know if you fully understand it, but at some point in time, I am going to come back. And when I do, the numbers aren't going to be quite even, but they're going to be a little bit closer. And I got a funny feeling that we're going to war. Woo, boy. I cut, him off. I cut him off a little bit there, but woo, boy, man, that is... Great stuff there from Kofi Kingston. And look, look, it's simple. I want Kofi Kingston versus Mustafa Ali at WrestleMania. Anything short of that will be a disappointment. I know there's two pay-per-views until then. They could do it at Fastlane. Maybe they do a tag team match. Maybe someone wins the titles and they work it that way. I get it. There's so many ways they could do this. I want Kofi Kingston versus Mustafa Ali at WrestleMania. It's a two-night show. You can find a spot for it. 100%. No, th- these guys are making us pay attention to them, even if they're not on, on TV for whatever reason. And yeah, it's, it's, it's good stuff. And this is the kind of promos like, let these guys go. Let these guys do their thing. 
I doubt that that Kofi Kingston promo was scripted by a WWE writer. No, no, so, no, no. Like, you know, let, let these guys talk, let them create their own character motivations that are based on real life. Like it's all, it's all right there. So awesome stuff. He, he nailed so much realism, so many callbacks in that promo to stuff in his career. Yep. Just great stuff right there from Kofi. All right. A couple more things before we get to our ultimate preview of the Royal Rumble. We saw Sonya Deville. She was kind of stunting in the three-piece chrome suit mm -hmm. uh, over on SmackDown. The Street Profits gave her a fruit basket and said they wanted a rematch for their titles. She said they deserved one, but Montez Ford is still recovering from an injury, so they should keep hyping up SmackDown while other tag teams get opportunities until he's fully healthy. I just thought this was a pretty smart way to keep the Street Profits away from getting an immediate rematch, allow the other tag team champions, uh, the Dirty Dogs in this case, to do some stuff. And it also established Sonya Deville a bit as an authority figure. I just really liked this segment. Yeah, no, totally. It, it, it explained why something's happening. It made sense. And anytime something makes sense, I'm all for it. Whatever it's a it good is. thing. It's a good thing. We also saw King Corbin defeat Dominic Mysterio. Dominic convinced Ray to let him go at the match alone, but said he would do it Ray's way next time if he loses. Dominic countered end of days, but Corbin caught the 619 and then hit end of days clean for a relatively easy win, actually. This was mostly just pushing the storyline forward but I noticed Corbin's guys suddenly haven't been with him the last two weeks. I don't know if there's anything to that, if they've dropped it, if maybe, God forbid, one of those guys is sick, but they weren't there. And to me, that was completely noticeable. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it moved it forward. I'm just, I'm getting to the point where I'm going to get concerned that we're going to see the same Corbin match every week. And we haven't gotten there yet, but it feels like this is how every Corbin feud starts so hopefully we get some sort of change up in the next coming weeks and it's not the same thing but uh yeah it was different and i i didn't i think i think the fact that the guys weren't there was part of it because having some lackeys was making corbin feel a little bit different which he needs so yeah it, it was noticeable now seeing dominic and ray by the way and you don't need to necessarily reply but it got me noticing again like murphy's just disappeared <laughs> we haven't seen Murphy in a long time, in addition to Aleister Black, you know, but Murphy's just gone all of a sudden. Now, I don't know if he's waiting for Rollins to come back, if maybe Rollins is going to have re-recruited re him or something like that. Maybe we'll see him in the Royal Rumble, but he is conspicuous by his absence because, I mean, he was getting put over and he beat Seth Rollins and now he's not on TV. So that's a bit of a disappointment for me. And then wrapping up here on the pre-Royal Rumble talk, we had Sheamus defeat John Morrison. Sheamus... Eventually caught Morrison rolling into the ring with a knee, then hit white noise for the clean win. Miz then randomly challenged him to a handicap match immediately afterward. So Miz and Morrison then defeated Sheamus two-on-one. Sheamus was great in the handicap match. He sold like hell. He was absolutely covered in sweat, got in a lot of good offense. Sheamus hit the bro kick on Morrison, but Miz caught him with the skull-crushing finale for the win. I would not be surprised to see Sheamus save McIntyre from a cash-in on Sunday night. And if that was the reason for all of this, it makes sense. But it just felt like they had time to kill and they just threw this on the show. Yeah, and it goes back to what I said earlier with the Gauntlet match was that there were several segments on Raw that felt like they were just stretching it for time. And this was one, this was one of those. We, we we get two matches out of a one match, you know, idea basically. And so, you didn't expect anything important to come out of this. It felt like they were trying to fill time. Maybe, maybe it comes into play on the Royal Rumble. I hope it does 
because then then it means something. But this just felt like they were filling time. And Sheamus looked gassed at the end of that. I mean, he 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 did a great job in the match. But man, I don't think I've ever seen that dude sweat so much. And it, you know, his beard was dripping and just it was it was crazy. That sold it. Yeah, than no, it, anything. Did. it did. It really did. It, it did. It, it highlighted how tough this was. But uh, and that that's a yeah. guy who's in as good of shape as anyone. I mean, there's yeah. people who are more athletic like a ricochet. But in terms of being in shape, uh, Sheamus is top tier in WWE right now. And for him to be that exhausted and to, to wrestle two matches I mean, wrestling Morrison is tough, even if it's a short match, because he does so much. To do two of those, I, I mean, just credit to him. Yeah, you know, totally. Big time credit to him. Okay, let us move into the 2021 WWE Royal Rumble Ultimate Preview, where we are going to break down everything that we expect to see on the show, along with predictions and how we think WWE will move storylines forward after one of their biggest pay-per-views of the year. Now, technically, Chris, there's only five matches announced for this card. I'm going to include a sixth in our preview just because I expect it's going to get added. But before we talk about any of those six matches, WWE recently announced that Bad Bunny will be performing at the Royal Rumble. I only mention this because it's rare these days for WWE to truly reach out and grab someone who is among the more popular people in pop culture and have them appear on a show or show up on a pay-per-view. You can shove your Lamar balls. uh, You can shove your Pitbull even at WrestleMania. He was popular, but he was not at the height of his popularity. Bad Bunny, despite me not being a fan necessarily, is at the height of his popularity. And I do think it's significant when you see Cardi B tweeting about WWE a couple Monday nights ago. Now you have Bad Bunny performing on Royal Rumble. I don't really care much about the performance. I think it's a really smart decision by WWE to get him on the show. Totally, totally. I I mean, I'm going to admit I did not know who he was until I saw him in those Corona commercials. Which are are among the worst commercials of all time. Yeah, which uh, (laughs) with Snoop Dogg. Baboni, Baboni. Yeah, but I looked, I mean, after that, I looked him up. I was like, who is this guy? And then I found out, oh, he's one of the most popular musicians (laughs) in the entire world. So Somehow, yeah. uh, Yeah, so no, getting him is definitely, I think, another positive sign of I guess you, I don't know if you'd say mainstream approval, but, but being at a level where you can get somebody like that on your show. Totally. hundred percent. Now this is the match. Let's start here. That has not been announced for the Royal Rumble, but I just have to assume it gets on the show and that's going to be Sasha Banks defending the SmackDown women's championship against Carmella. It has not been announced. Neither of them are announced for the women's Royal Rumble. And right now there is no women's singles titles being defended on the show. So I just, I have to make the assumption it'll get added on Friday. On this past Friday's SmackDown, we got Banks fighting Reginald one-on-one in an intergender match, which we do not see on WWE television. Banks got the 8K camera treatment, and she looked like the biggest freaking star in the world walking down to the ring. She absolutely drilled Reginald with a slap. He kept doing flips away from her. They worked together to do a ton of counters, so he never really got offense in. Remember. This dude is from Cirque du Soleil, and he proved it based on just the way he was able to move in and out of the ring on Friday. Banks hit the Meteora outside and inside, then hit the bank statement. It wasn't necessarily a good match, 
But I did think it was cool how well Banks did with a totally green wrestler. Reginald was decently impressive. Now he lost, so Carmella doesn't get a title shot in kayfabe. But again, I just have to believe this is going to get settled one way or another with an attack or something on Friday. So I'm including it in the card because if not, we only have five matches to talk about. No matter what, if this is on the show, Sasha Banks retains the title. Yeah, and Sasha and Carmella had a really good match um, last time. They seem to have good chemistry together. If they have a match, I'm sure it'll be good, but I will also pick Sasha in that. But this match with the, with the what's his name? Uh, uh, the Somalia, Reginald. Reginald. That was, that was a fun segment. Like, this is what I mean by, like, wrestling just, like, doing things a little bit differently sometimes, and it can be really entertaining. Man, like you said, I, he, he's a green wrestler and so figuring thing, things out. But, oh, my God, is he smooth and fluid with all those movements. I mean, obviously, you know, Cirque du Soleil, but holy cow. That was just I, – I, I, don't, I don't know if I've seen a wrestler look that fluid just sliding and flipping and all kinds of stuff. And it, it made me just really excited for what he can be uh, down the road. But this was fun. It, it was it, – they, they, Sasha did a great job as well, you know, setting him up for moves or taking moves – uh as well so they both held their own it was just it was like a kind of a goofy idea for a match for a segment and it was really entertaining i i really enjoyed the heck out of it carmella's doing a good job and, and her working off a man just seems to hit for me and i think reginald i mean people like the james ellsworth stuff i didn't personally although i did think that her getting the title and Getting some opportunities there was good for her, as you can see, because she's clearly improved. But this works. The way she kind of pushes him around, he's her servant, but not a servant, a sommelier. It's just, it's just different and unique, and it gives her character some complexity to mm-hmm. some degree. But I don't know, it worked. This worked. This, this match worked, despite not being a good wrestling match. It was a good segment on television. And again, yes, if they do have this on the pay-per-view, you have to have Sasha Banks retain you have to have Sasha Banks go into WrestleMania as the SmackDown Women's Champion against a top-tier opponent. And we'll talk about a little bit later who that might be. Let's move over to the matches that have actually been announced for the Royal Rumble. And we'll start with the Women's Tag Team Championship, Asuka and Charlotte Flair defending against Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax. There's actually a lot to unpack here. We already talked about Asuka and Alexa Bliss. So remember that from earlier. We'll go back to SmackDown. Asuka and Charlotte had a non-title match against the Riot Squad. I thought this was incredibly random. You would think that they would have promoted this and that the Riot Squad would at least be getting a title chance. They could have put this match on the pay-per-view because the Riot Squad's been winning and they're one of the few tag teams that exist. Billy Kay accidentally distracted the referee while Ruby Riot rolled up Asuka. The champions then hit the Codebreaker and Natural Selection for the win. Kay apologized backstage, but the Riot Squad was still angry. Kay said Sonya Deville granted them entry into the Women's Royal Rumble as a make good, but Riot said there's no us and basically excommunicated Billy Kay from the Riot Squad. So storyline-wise, I was okay with everything that happened, but I just, I didn't get giving away this match here, especially in a non-title scenario, especially when you have a pay-per-view coming up where they could have been the ones challenging for the titles. Yeah, it, it felt like, one, they wanted to do the Billy Kay storyline with the Riot Squad, and two, they wanted to remind us that 
Charlotte and Asuka are a tag team because we haven't really seen them together for a while. So I, True. I, I, I think that's kind of what the point of it was and it, you know, to set up because, hey, we're going to we're going to have to have a championship match. So uh, that that was my read on what it was. So, yeah, it was kind of random. It was kind of two separate things they wanted to do and kind of put them together. So, yeah, it was weird to, to have a ride squad lose like that. But I, I mean, I don't think they're I don't think they're going anywhere. You do make a good point. They are not a tag team on Raw. Right. So at least on SmackDown, they were a tag team. That, that's pretty solid. Over to Raw, we had Flair versus Baszler in a one-on-one match. Flair had the figure four on Baszler in just a couple of minutes before Jax broke the submission for disqualification. I thought that was just insane. Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke saved Flair. Then Lacey Evans ran in. Normally, I hate them when they do this but they don't do it as often as they used to. And it was a go-home show. So, okay, a six-woman tag team match. Flair and Baszler end up wrestling most of the match until Baszler got counted out. Despite being halfway in the ring, it was clearly a botch because everyone was confused. And I think John Cone did it on purpose. He was pissed she wasn't moving fast enough outside the ring. The other option is that John Cone did the count out because he thought she was concussed. And if that's the case, either way, he's right. It doesn't matter what the reasoning was. But that would at least make sense for why this transpired the way it did. There was, it did look like she took a hit uh, on the rewatch and may have been favoring herself a little bit. So he may have said, hey, you know what? Let's just end this match, be safe. And they figured out a way to restart it coming out of commercial, which is what they ultimately did. Flair chased Evans away from ringside. Brooke nearly pinned Jax. Then Jax... In my opinion, straight up stole Raquel Gonzalez's choke bomb finisher that she uses on NXT. Hits that on Dana Brooke for the win. That pissed me off. The fact that Jax didn't protect Dana Brooke on the move and may have concussed her, that pissed me off. The entire segment to me was total dog shit. It's been reported Dana Brooke's okay. That's a, a decent thing. But man, I just thought this was a bunch of hot garbage. Yeah, it was weird. And it, it's like I said a couple times earlier, it felt like they were just stretching for time and turning one match into multiple matches. And and again, that's, that's three segments on this Raw where that basically happened, either the gauntlet match or, or a single turns into a tag or a single turns into a handicap. So, yeah, it was weird that Jax would come in and, and do that to, to interfere and why Shayna wouldn't be upset that Nia cost her the match. I, I don't know. It was It was all... It, it was just, it was nonsense. You know, not much to add to it. All righty. And we also had Charlotte later on the show walk in on Ric Flair, who was helping Lacey Evans learn how to break holds. Flair said Charlotte may be a star, but wrestling still needs him. She said she's not the bad guy here. He's going from legend to old man after spending his money on everyone throughout his life, but his own family. Evans then punched Flair, or Charlotte Flair in the back of the head. Rick went to help her, but Evans let him out of the room. I actually don't really mind this storyline. I know people don't like it. I don't mind it because it's a good non-title storyline for Charlotte. The problem is she's a champion and they're, and they're not telling any storyline with her holding the championship. So while I like this for Charlotte as an individual, I worry about two things. Number one, that it has nothing to do with her being a tag team champion, which is really what we're here to talk about. And number two, what worries me is, are they possibly setting up Charlotte Flair versus Lacey Evans somehow, some way 
for the Raw Women's Championship at WrestleMania? Um, I don't know about that second part. I, I mean, they're obviously setting up Charlotte Flair versus uh, Lacey Evans coming out of this tag match, which, you know, if we talk about the tag match, I mean, I, I think I think um, Nia and Shayna are going to win the tag belts back. Uh, that's my, my pick for the match. And then I think Charlotte will then move into this feud with Lacey Evans. I don't know if that, I don't, I don't think this is a wrestle. I don't, I don't think it's a raw championship um, match, but uh, I, I mean, I'm just I, being pessimistic when I say that. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's all. I, I, I don't see them doing that. I Oscar okay, good. The champ, they, Oscar's still the champ. They got, I don't, I don't see her losing it to somebody else between that. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's possible. She, she's still that. the champ, but she doesn't have a challenger. I mean, she, we've been no. waiting for Oscar to get a challenger over the last few months. And you think in this match, there could be a scenario where Asuka gets rolled up or something happens. Charlotte gets pissed, drops the title at Elimination Chamber. And now you have Lacey Evans waiting for her match. That's the only, that's where I'm coming from here. I, it's, it's the pessimism of Charlotte being thrust right into the main event. again. Now there's other ways that that could happen. And we can talk about all of that. But to get to the match, as you said, which is really what we're here to talk about, the Women's Tag Team Championship, Oscar and Charlotte Flair against Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax. Dude, I'm with you. I think they changed the titles here, which really makes it ridiculous that they put the straps on them in the first place. Yep. There was absolutely no need to do that when you had Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke coming back, which is a storyline they're clearly still telling with Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax. And I don't know when that feud is going to culminate or or when, what's going to happen there, but that should have been the way they took the titles off the heels. Instead, they're going to do a double switch, but I see it coming. You are a thousand percent right. I have to believe Baszler and Jax win the titles. Yeah, I, I they're barely a tag team. They don't need the tag belts. We all recognize that. So I, I don't see any reason they will keep the belts. It just it doesn't make any sense to me. And it's it's been a mess of a... They haven't even been a tag team, like I said. So it's just, I don't know why they decided to do it this way over the last month, but hopefully this will get the tag division back on track. My only problem is that it's really Jackson Baszler, especially Baszler, who has been that challenger waiting there for Asuka. Mm-hmm. Like if you told me Asuka Baszler was going to be at WrestleMania, I'm in for that. But maybe this is just temporary. It's a way for them to do something with them for another month or two until Baszler loses and then she can challenge Asuka. Maybe the winner of the Royal Rumble goes to the SmackDown side, but it just feels to me like Asuka doesn't have a challenger. And I don't know that the booking of them losing the tag team title, winning them at all, and then losing them, I don't see how that fixes it. I just think it makes it even more difficult because then your only singles remaining are Flair, Evans, and like Peyton Royce on all of Raw, unless Someone gets called up and we will talk about that a little bit later, but we're aligned here with the there being a title change and the heels winning the women's tag team titles. Let's move over to Drew McIntyre versus Goldberg for the WWE Championship. I should have said, let's unfortunately move over <laughs> to this. So McIntyre opened Raw. He came back after two weeks away, really as the face of WWE. He said he was fighting for everyone who battled through COVID, and then he dedicated his Royal Rumble match to them. So how can you have him lose after he says that, right? It's the first time, by the way, that they've mentioned COVID by name on WWE TV. This comes after Roman Reigns 
on Friday mentioning the pandemic. We also randomly saw Shelton Benjamin in a surgical mask. So all of a sudden in the last two weeks, like COVID is now part of WWE kayfabe officially after like nine months of it not being actually talked about at all. Uh, McIntyre grabbed the mic. He said, Goldberg's defeated every champion he's challenged since returning, which is true and depressing, but McIntyre would end that streak. Miz and Morrison interrupted, said they would beat down the winner and cash in Money in the Bank after the match. So McIntyre and Goldberg basically beat them up and did a stare down. I forgot to mention in there, by the way, that Goldberg came down to the ring and said three words. Uh, So Goldberg came down, whatever. They beat them up. Uh, The best thing I can say about this entire thing is this was unoffensive. It it wasn't good because no one wants to see Goldberg in a title match. It wasn't as bad as their first interaction. It was just meh. The angle for Goldberg here is that the WWE Championship is the one title that's eluded him. I don't know why they didn't make that the angle for the challenge. Instead, they did the bullshit disrespect thing that had no basis in reality. The Goldberg storyline, though, with this has been pushed pretty heavily over the last couple of weeks. For him to barely cut a promo on Raw, I thought was pathetic, considering his motivation to this point is so flawed. So I didn't like what happened, but I also didn't hate it. It was just like, all right, let's get to this match and get it over with as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, there, there's no story here. And it's it's been, you know, kneecapped a couple of times. You know, the, the segment went long, so Drew never got to cut his promo that Goldberg was responding to. So the disrespect didn't make any sense. Then Drew has COVID, so they can't address it really for a couple of weeks. And and now, and now we're here at the go home and they're just, there's there, there was no time to make up and build a story. And they're just going to go forward with what they have. Further is my belief that Drew is winning this match and remains my pick as it was as soon as this was announced. Um, but yeah, I, I think we're all just like, all right, let's just get to it and get it over with. And hopefully they do the right thing. I'm honestly just, I'm baffled by a pick here. And normally I'm not like, so I'm legitimately nervous because with the Goldberg manufactured storyline, it would make sense for him to capture the one title that's eluded him. But on the other hand, them having McIntyre come out and dedicate the match to COVID-19 patients <laughs> and then drop the title to Goldberg would be even worse than if he had lost it on his own anyway. Yeah. So I just, ultimately, I, I have to go with Drew McIntyre retaining the title really for the reason of every time they've had Goldberg win, it has been met with such disdain from the fans. And they may not listen to us on everything, but it does seem recently they at least understand that actively pissing us off is a bad thing. And you don't want to be going into this really important stretch of the year by giving Goldberg the title for the third time. I know it's a different title, but I'm just saying giving him a title for the third time. They did it with Owens, and yes, the Lesnar match was good. That was acceptable. That one was okay. Taking it off The Fiend, which we can argue about whether The Fiend should ever be champion in the first place, that, but that never should have happened. And then they almost got what they deserved by Roman pulling out of Mania and then having Braun Strowman versus Goldberg, a match no one wanted to see in the first place. Yeah, no, they, they took it off The Fiend in part to get it to Roman and have Roman beat Goldberg. But- and but, that's, Fiend, and, and, but Fiend Roman would have been the better story. 
not not to to them roman beating the legend goldberg would have been better i'm not i don't agree i'm just saying i know it's pretty I know. clear that that's what they felt and that's why i think they feel that putting drew over goldberg is a big win for drew and they're just going to do that without giving goldberg the title to start i'm with you on that so i that is why and especially because of how strong drew's been built and the fact that drew already lost the title and then won it back for all of those reasons i i got to believe drew mcintyre wins and if that's how they do this and Goldberg's used as a tool to further strengthen McIntyre, it's palatable. But if they change the title here, even if The Miz then cashes in and wins it off Goldberg, let's say, I just don't see that being good wrestling. No, I, I don't either. And I, I, don't, I don't think they will. They, they, have, they have protected Drew a lot. They know he's the face of the company. I'm watching Superstar Spectacle as we speak in, in the, the India show. And it ends with Drew in the middle of the ring with with the with some of the Indian wrestlers around him. He he is the face of the company, and right. they're going to treat him as such. Th- that's what I have to believe is going to happen. So with that, let's move on to the other World Championship match: Roman Reigns against Kevin Owens for the Universal Championship in the Silver King's dreaded Last Man Standing match. Now we do have a lot to talk about actually coming out of SmackDown before we get to the match itself. WWE piped in You Suck chants, which I thought was a little strange. Reigns broke kayfabe and said it took a pandemic and putting his health at risk not to show up for that period of time. He called Adam Pierce a puss <laughs> and said his back hurts because he's been carrying WWE for years. I almost spit out my drink and I had <laughs> to cut I had to cut the audio for you. I don't miss appearances. I show up and I put in work. Legitimately, it took, it took my health being at risk in a pandemic to keep me out of this room. So I don't want to hear from anybody ever that I've missed an appearance. That is why I am who I am. But what if I did think like Adam Pierce? What if I was a post like Adam Pierce and I just started saying, my elbow hurts. I thought Reigns was going to keep clowning Pierce. Um, like, no wonder, you know, you didn't make it as a wrestler in WWE. Actually, I think he did do that. Yeah. And then he starts talking about, like, his neck and his back. I thought he was going to quote Kia and do lyrics from her song. Uh, I won't continue those lyrics, by the way. <laughs> um, but I love, I mean, we're going to talk more about it. But, dude, that from Reigns is just great. This was the promo that we wanted a heel John Cena to cut. For years, years, yes. The the, yes. the 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 I have carried the company on my back promo is the perfect t- face turns heel promo, and he nailed it. He he nailed every part of it. Uh, he continues to be an absolute boss in this role. You know, he he talked down Adam Pierce, saying, you know, you never made it to WWE as a wrestler and 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 stuff like that. So, absolutely tremendous. Roman continues to be heel. Roman continues to be everything we've ever wanted out of him. Yep. Awesome stuff. So Pierce then kind of came back and disrespected Paul Heyman. Rain said Heyman should take care of that. Heyman said Pierce thinks he's important. And then he drops this and you bet your ass. I cut the audio as well. I'm from New York. I'll whoop your ass. If you disrespect my tribal chief, 
You want to stare me down? I'll tell you what. I may not be a lawyer, but I come from a synagogue full of them. <laughs> I get it. I understand you buy into the persona that I put forth on television. You, you think I'm not capable. You, you think I'm, I'm, I'm impotent as a man. You don't think I can handle myself. I'm from New York. I'm as you disrespect my tribal chief. Don't steer me down. Hmm? Tell you what. I may not be a lawyer, but I come from a synagogue just full of them. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> holy shit. That's maybe one of my favorite lines in wrestling history. Heyman challenged Pierce one-on-one. Pierce accepted. I popped so hard for that entire opening segment. Reigns was great. Pierce was great. Heyman was great. Yeah, and again, you tell me that uh, if you tell me, hey, on SmackDown, we're going to have Sasha Banks versus a sommelier. We're going to have Paul Heyman in a wrestling match. And you're thinking, huh? But it worked. It all it fit what the characters were doing. It, 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 it They set it up well. And I was like, huh? I mean, we know it's not going to be Paul Heyman in a match here, but it made me curious how, how exactly this was going to work. Actually got me really excited. I was like, I'd love to see a Paul Heyman versus Pierce match. So it was, it was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. It was great. So Reigns later backstage said he gave Heyman the mic to cut Pierce down, but he didn't hire a punk. So Heyman had to act like a man and handle the challenge he made. Kevin Owens cut a promo from his car about Reigns bearing him from the building and him wanting to beat Reigns for his deceased grandparents. Ahead of the match, Heyman pretended to injure his knee on the steel steps and pulled the card subject to change gimmick, giving Reigns an opportunity to get Pierce as he desired. That part of it was very smart. But Roman Reigns against Adam Pierce was exceedingly convoluted booking. Why would Pierce be cleared for this match and not the Royal Rumble? It actually negated the entire storyline from last week, considering Pierce did ultimately sign that contract. It was only that uh, that Owens would be there in his place if he was medically not cleared. So how did he get medically cleared to fight on SmackDown, but he couldn't get medically cleared to fight at the Royal Rumble? That's convoluted, and I'm going to call it out. Even though this was all entertaining and it was all good, that was a logic hole and a failure that they really needed to be smarter than, but they weren't, unfortunately. And, and, so, and the, yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, and the other part is, why does... Paul Heyman have the power to change a, a card. You know, I, I got that Adam Pierce could do it because he's a WWE official. I mean, technically, Paul Heyman kind of opens the door for any wrestler who says, oh, I can't fight. I don't want to fight. Here's my replacement. You know, so th- that was another kind of, I think, logic point that that uh, irked me a little bit. Especially for Reigns to be the automatic replacement. When, yeah, Pierce like, is like, the, when Pierce is the guy, he's the authority figure, he could just say, okay, I'm not sanctioning this match, right? Right. It was just... There was a lot of logic failures in that segment, and it was unfortunate. It really yeah, was. Like, like the idea should be that a a doctor, you know, determines that this person can't go, and, and Pierce can handle that however he wants. I mean, you can't just come out for a match and say, "Oh, I don't feel well." Here's right, Pier- Pierce could have made it an unsanctioned match. Yeah, that's all he needed to say. He's like, "Look, like WWE doctors won't clear me, but I want to fight you, Paul. I'm going to make it an unsanctioned match." Yeah, exactly. That's all he needed to do. But they just. Uh, it's, it's very easy, but it was unfortunate. So Reigns uh, brutalized Pierce by the Thunderdome when Owens ran in. Owens countered a Superman punch with a stunner. 
then hit another stunner right in front of Heyman outside. Rain sold it like absolute death. He flung his entire body backwards into the barricade. Owens followed up with a pop-up powerbomb through the announce table. Owens was going absolutely ape shit to end the show, screaming at Reigns as SmackDown went off the air. I did think that may have been a little bit stronger for the go-home, but right. nevertheless, it was awesome. Despite, despite the strange booking, the criticisms, the logic failures, this was pretty fire, and it was a great promotion for their match and the Royal Rumble pay-per-view as a whole. Definitely. I, I mean, when when Kevin Owens was cutting the promo in his car, talking about his his um his dead uh, grandfather's tattoos on his fingers, I was like, man, this is a deep promo. I, it's weird. That it's too bad he's cutting this from his car as as a show he's not even on. So then it actually did surprise me when he showed up at the end to, to save Pierce and, and beat up Reigns and throw him through the table. It was a really, really hot ending. And yeah, it would have been a perfect go-home ending, but I'm, I'm not going to nitpick that the end of the show was too good. <laughs> so, right, and we don't know so, what we're going to get this week. Yeah, We could yeah. end up getting something even better. So you really can't complain too much about that. I have a DM slide from Rob Moring at R Moring. He said, the cheers for KO would be crazy right now if the arena was full with people. He'd be so over, WWE would have to consider a title change. It really makes me miss the fans. I, I fully agree that Owens would be over as all hell right now. He would get, be getting massive pops. And I would say maybe the argument isn't that you make a title change here. The argument in the lead up would have been you save the third match for WrestleMania. You yes. take Owens out of action with an injury. You give Reigns some other opponents, which we've already talked about. And you maybe save Roman Reigns, Kevin Owens, three for Mania. And then you change the title there. I don't agree, Rob, that it would kind of give them the idea to change the title here. Because again, Reigns is just so strong right now. I don't know that him losing the title to anyone but a big, major, solidified main eventer. And Owens is close, but he's not... A Brock Lesnar, let's say. I don't know him losing to anyone else would really make a lot of booking sense. No, and I mean, I, fans would be going crazy for Owens, no doubt. But I, I think Owens has already pushed himself into extending this feud longer than maybe they thought. You know, possibly. It, yeah. it, it seemed like the Owens feud was over, and and clearly it, it had gotten over so well that I think they wanted to keep it going because we've been wondering, hey, are they going to get into Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan, or not? And the Kevin Owens stuff has been so good. And maybe I'm wrong. It just, it feels like they've been pushing it off. So, you know, he's even without fans, I think he still has been making that kind of impact. No doubt about it. Now, as far as the match itself, because we do need to make a prediction, I will stick certainly with Roman Reigns winning and retaining the title. You guys know, I really don't like last man standing matches. However, Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens I believe now through four pay-per-view matches all time they've had, at least three, three pay-per-view matches all time that they've had, all of them have been bangers. So I really am coming into this with a positive outlook. I think we're going to get a solid to great match despite my least favorite stipulation, my most hated stipulation in professional wrestling outside of also all those blank on the pole matches. This, this for a one that's frequently used is my least favorite, aka worst uh, stipulation. But I do think Roman Reigns will win and retain the title. As for how I think it happens, I've been predicting it. I've said it multiple times over the last couple of months. I actually think it happens here. 
this is the scenario where I believe Owens takes out Jey Uso. Paul Heyman, something happens to him. Uh, maybe Adam Pierce takes out Paul Heyman. And Rain and Owens is about to beat Reigns. It's going to happen. And we see the return of Jimmy Uso. I think this is the scenario where Jimmy comes back. He is that unplanned for piece that Owens can't contend with. It's one thing to go up two on one. It's another to go three on one. And I do think Roman Reigns walks out of here retaining the Universal Championship. Yeah, I'm not sure what happens, how it happens, but I, I, I think Roman wins as well. I'm thinking maybe maybe Roman brings back the the low blow or, or something like that. Even though I know it's last man standing and, and whatnot, I, I could see. I, I think a low blow, even in a even in a match like this, is considered a pretty heel move. So um, I, I'm I'm going to say that happens. Who, who knows how it's going to end? But we both agree Roman's going to win. Um, I I have very little doubt of that. It would be a good opportunity, especially with this being the road to WrestleMania starting basically at the end of this show. It would be a good opportunity to give Roman Reigns as clean of a win as they'll give a heel. So yeah, you'll have Jey Uso interfere during it and all that, but it would be great if at the end, Roman just overpowers and beats Owens. Like he just, he's so sadistic that despite Owens being a never say die type of guy, Ultimately, he just can't overcome what Roman brings to the table. I would book it that way. I would prefer to see Roman go over strong and have this guy, you know, operating on all cylinders heading into WrestleMania because it does seem like the last few matches, almost every match that he's had, title match, as champion, something's been, there's been an interference. Um, something's helped him along the way. And it would be nice if that didn't happen here. Do you agree? I agree. I mean, Roman's had those, you know, the, some of the Jey Uso wins, I think, were kind of that real dominant fashion. Same with the, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember how he beat McIntyre. I don't quite remember. Uh, oh, Jey, Jey Uso got involved. Jey, that yeah. Yeah, that, that's true. I, I mean, WWE does have this problem where, where they don't have the heels win clean strongly very often. And, you know, a couple of years ago, we saw Kevin Owens losing in a quick second to Goldberg. So it's not like it's unprecedented uh, that, that Kevin Owens loses up, loses up cleanly and, and defiantly in, in that situation. So it's possible. I, 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 wouldn't, I, I wouldn't hate it. I think it's one thing. Sorry to interrupt. I no, think yeah. it's one thing to have like Randy Orton cheat to win or Bobby Lashley or some of these guys. This is the tribal chief to quote Paul Heyman. Uh, <laughs> This is your guy. This is your number one superstar in your entire company. He should win clean occasionally, even as a heel. Totally agree. Totally agree. And, and I, I don't think Owens will be would be hurt by it. He would need to just kind of, you know, work his way back a little bit. So it's it, it's possible. I just think the trend of where these things are going and with what they seem to like about KO, I don't know if they're just going to completely um, give him a clean loss. So we'll see. Yeah, I don't think ultimately I don't think so either. Of course, I did give the prediction, but we are aligned. Roman Reigns retaining the Universal Championship at the Royal Rumble. Last but certainly not least, we have the two main events, the Royal Rumble matches, and we will start with the women. Now, for the women's Royal Rumble, there actually has not been that much of a build, especially compared to the men, where you have people openly talking about wanting to win and why they want to win. The biggest 
kind of storyline, I guess, going into the Women's Royal Rumble is this feud between Bianca Belair and Bayley. And on SmackDown this Friday, Bayley set up the obstacle course she promised the week prior. She did a really bad job on the course, like worse than she otherwise would have. <laughs> minute 12. And then after she finished, she added a ton of extra hurdles for Bianca Belair, who had to fireman's carry Otis instead of Chad Gable, who is the person that Bailey got to carry, which was just funny that those guys were used as props for this, but especially funny that they used Otis for Bianca Belair. The fact that she did it was ridiculous. Then Bailey tried to play defense on the basketball thing at the end. Bianca Belair crosses her up and gets the easy win. Bailey, as expected, attacked her afterward, but there was really no further resolution to this entire thing. So obviously, eventually there's going to be resolution to Bailey and Bianca Belair. But I did find that to be endlessly entertaining on SmackDown, and it definitely exceeded my expectations. Yeah, it, you know, you thought back to the Sami Zayn, Bobby Lashley obstacle course from a few years back and, and kind of how that was kind of messy. This was hilarious. Ba- Bailey was great. Bailey has done such a good job playing the heel, propping up Bianca at the same time, or at least putting her in a situation where Bianca ends up looking great. Uh, this was, this was really funny. It it was, it was good stuff. It was, it was great. Again, again, think about what was on this episode of SmackDown. We had an intergender match with a sommelier. We had a possible Paul Heyman, Adam Pierce match, and we had an obstacle course, but it all worked. It it, it all worked because it all, again, fit the character motivations and everything in the story they told was great. And they booked this as pure comedy. Whereas the Bobby Lashley, Sami Zayn one was meant to be serious of Zayn actually challenging him. The Bailey one was never serious. Yeah. And they didn't treat it that way. And that's why it was funny. So it just worked across the board. Now, as far as the Women's Royal Rumble itself goes, the match, there have been 12 of 30 competitors announced. So far, Dana Brooke, Mandy Rose, Tamina, Ruby Riot, Liv Morgan, Alexa Bliss, Shayna Baszler, Nia Jax, Bianca Belair, Bailey, Charlotte Flair, Peyton Royce. Surely Lacey Evans and Billy Kay will be in there also. So that really takes us up to 14. And that's kind of me just laying the groundwork here. Now, you know, we can guess on surprises. I wouldn't be shocked if we saw Beth Phoenix show up, although I do think it's more likely she's on commentary for this. I wouldn't be surprised to see a return of Naomi. I don't know what her health is like. She was gone because she did have to do some type of work. That wouldn't be a huge surprise. When I come to think of Who should win this match, though? I come down to four names. One of them actually is Naomi, just because she did seem like she was on the verge of a push before she got taken out due to injury. But I don't think she's going to win. So really, there's three other people. The first is Bianca Belair. Makes all the sense in the world. Belair, Banks, WrestleMania, match we all want, match we all need. Option two is Rhea Ripley who would be debuting, or not necessarily debuting, she would be moved up to the main roster officially for the first time by appearing in this match, coming out of NXT. She's basically gone out on her back there. There's nothing else left for her to achieve. Raw badly needs another big-time main event woman. I think you can put Ripley in this match. You can have her win. And it potentially sets up a Ripley-Flair rematch at WrestleMania coming out of last year where Flair took the NXT title, or sets up Rhea Ripley against Asuka, 
which would be an absolute, total, dominant banger. The third option, it's not one that anyone's going to like. It's Charlotte Flair winning and going back to back. Maybe because she drops the women's tag team titles earlier in the show. So now this is her motivation. Or maybe they have this match first. And because she's so tired from this match and from winning, she drops the women's tag team titles later in the show. I would absolutely loathe the idea of Charlotte Flair winning not just another Royal Rumble, but doing it in back-to-back years. But I just can't dismiss the possibility, Chris. You know, I hadn't thought about some of those, and I think they all make sense. I mean, my pick is in that group, uh, but 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 there are some of those names you mentioned were not ones I had really considered, and I'm I I, I don't think I'd like any of them over who I'm going to pick, and we'll get to that in a second. But I I think there are a few options here, and you know, you mentioned Beth Phoenix I, with, with both Rumbles. You know, it, it, it's worth remembering there are not going to be many surprises in this because you know you need people to travel in and test and possibly quarantine and all kinds of stuff. So I, I I mean I guess I hope we don't have a ton of surprises with people who haven't been around just from a oh, you, safety you really standpoint. Too. What was that? You just need one or two like yeah. but in terms of true surprise, you really only need one or two of them, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. It's just the the excitement of the rumble is always a surprise. And I think we need to maybe lower our expectations that we're not going to have some crazy situations like uh, like we have in past years. I, I think most of the surprises for the Women's Rumble will be people from NXT, which is really what it's been and what it was last year. Yeah. Being Io Shirai in the Rumble or Casey Kent Nazaro again. You know, it's going to be, that's where it's going to come from. Oh, these NXT women that are great, that have this company that has the best women's division in the world right now, or at least in North America right now, they get it, them getting these opportunities. That will be the majority of the surprises. I think you always get like a Molly Holly. You may get a Beth Phoenix. You may get something like that. But I agree. I don't think you're going to get that massive surprise where you're like, oh my God, Lita's back or Trish Stratus. I don't think we're going to get that this year. Me, me neither. Now, who's your pick? Because you said you wanted to, you was out of the group I mentioned, but you seem to have narrowed down on one individual. Bianca Belair. Yeah, I, I think it has to be Bianca Belair. They have built her up over these last few weeks. I'm still very frustrated they didn't give her that star-making moment at Survivor Series uh, and instead giving it to Lana. That was frustrating. Yes, it, it has to be here. She is a star in every sense of the word. It's time to pull the trigger and get her into a, a championship picture, eventually get a championship on her. The Bailey stuff's been good. Bailey's done a great job helping get her over. Uh, I, I I think it has to be her. I, Rhea Ripley, I get, but I, I I don't want it. I just feel like if this is another kind of delayed start for Bianca Belair, it's going to hurt her. And I, I just I think they got to get moving on, on Bianca here heading into WrestleMania season. So Bianca Belair is my pick to win the Women's Royal Rumble. Now, the other thing that is an option, which I didn't mention, but it's something we talked about for, I don't know, four months on this podcast. Bailey is in this match and Sasha Banks is still the champion. And that feud truly did end. It didn't end poorly, but it ended with a little bit of a thud. Like it ended on a Friday night SmackDown. We never really got the big main event pay-per-view match that we wanted. 
And one of the things we talked about when Banks won the title was that it was an opportunity for them to delay their storyline. And possibly down the line, we thought Sasha Banks was going to win the Royal Rumble. They could have Bailey win the Royal Rumble. So I do think it's feasible where, and I know we want to push Bel Air. No one wants it more than me. And I do think Banks and Bel Air is possibly the more exciting match just because Bel Air is young and she would be getting an opportunity. But let's not forget Bel Air is in her first year on the roster. And there will be opportunities throughout her life and in her future career in WWE. It would not be the worst booking, in my opinion, to have Bailey win this Royal Rumble, maybe by tossing Bel Air out, which gives them an interim feud where they can continue feuding, and then have Bailey reestablish her feud with Sasha Banks and have it culminate at WrestleMania. I am not putting that out of the realm of possibility. I actually think there's a better possibility that happens than Charlotte Flair winning. Yeah, I, th- there are a few possibilities that could work. I, I mean, I think the Rhea Ripley idea works. I think the Bailey idea works. I, I, I don't necessarily think it'd be a, a, a terrible like WTF decision. Um, I just think the best decision is Bianca Belair. I think I'm leaning in that direction as well. I'm really between Belair and Rhea Ripley. Because on one hand, for someone like Rhea Ripley to make what would essentially be her main roster debut, even though she's had main roster matches previously, in this match and win it, it is the status that she deserves. Like, she deserves that kind of push. I, I, feel, like, I, I feel like she already has that status. We've already seen her in a championship match at WrestleMania. We know they, you know, we know they think, you know, she, she's a million bucks. She's been the NXT women's champion twice, once or and twice. That, and, and, that's and, 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 and Bianca Belair, if I don't, if I recall correctly, never, never did win the title. So she, she needs, she, she needs to kind of be given that status more. I think Rhea Ripley, whenever she shows up, kind of, carries that status already. I I think you have some point there. I don't know that I completely agree though because Ripley has really spent the last year not down in the dumps, but she was December 2019 when she won that title. She was the best woman in the company besides, you know, uh Becky Lynch mm-hmm. at the time. Just incredible the momentum that she was on and she's been cooled off significantly since then. To have her debut in that way, there's a ready-made storyline about losing the title at the Royal Rumble last year. I mean, at, at WrestleMania last year. This time, winning the Royal Rumble and going after one of the titles at WrestleMania to kind of win that back. And, and then they could start the course with this new woman as champion with her winning the title at WrestleMania. I think there's a lot of momentum that could be built up for Rhea Ripley for winning this. My concern with Bianca Belair is she's right in the middle of the Bailey feud. So you have her win this and presumably challenge let's say Sasha Banks, but she still has the Bailey feud to continue. Maybe they finish that at Elimination Chamber. Right. I don't really really know the answer, so it's tough. But I think based on everything, if we narrow it down to those four, Bianca Belair, Rhea Ripley, Charlotte Flair, and Bailey, I do think your winner's coming out of that group. And if I had to put odds on it, I would definitely lean towards, and my prediction will ultimately be, Bianca Belair because... The idea of Bianca Belair, Sasha Banks, that is a WrestleMania. I mean, it's potential main event for one of the nights. It is a damn strong match. Mm -hmm. And if you're not going to go with Bailey, I think Sasha needs to be your featured player. 
She's your biggest woman in the company right now. And I think giving her Bianca Belair is the right booking. Yep, I agree. Okay, so that only leaves us with the Men's Royal Rumble. And we do have a lot to talk about before we get to the match itself. On SmackDown, that's where we'll start. Daniel Bryan cut a promo about the Royal Rumble, why it's so special, saying it makes him feel alive to be in the match. He said he's proud of his career, but winning the Royal Rumble is a goal he has not yet achieved. Then we had a match, Cesaro against Dolph Ziggler. Cesaro interrupted Bryan in that promo, said he would be the one winning the Royal Rumble. So Bryan basically challenged him to a rematch. Cesaro declined and said he was sick of doing the same thing every week, which is kind of funny. Issuing an open challenge, Ziggler answered and said, no one in the locker room except Cesaro could go head to head with him. Cesaro hit the swing. He kicked out of a zigzag. And then he reversed the Famouser into the neutralizer for the win. Later in the show, Ziggler was talking to Sonya Deville in a bit of a throwback from their old relationship from the Mandy Rose storyline, which I thought was kind of funny. But this all worked. It put not only Daniel Bryan, but Cesaro as legitimate contenders in the Royal Rumble. I don't really feel like Dolph Ziggler is. Shinsuke Nakamura, by the way, has been completely forgotten about since basically winning that gauntlet match. So I don't know how he factors in, but I do think SmackDown did a good job of kind of saying, hey, look, our top two contenders right now are Daniel Bryan and Cesaro. Yep, I, I think that set it up well. And um, yeah, I guess not much to add. Okay, uh, then moving over to Raw, there's a little bit more to talk about here. We had AJ Styles defeat R-Truth. Truth hit Styles with the five knuckle shuffle and went for an attitude adjustment, but Styles caught him with the calf crusher for the win. It was a decently fun match, but now Styles has cost three different guys Royal Rumble spots. It would make zero sense, at least to me, if they all got entry anyway and eliminated them. I could maybe see them running down to ringside and distracting Styles and having someone else throw Styles out of the ring. But I just hope they don't do any of that. It's just weird to me that he was the gatekeeper this entire time on Raw and no one got past him. Yeah. Yeah, that was weird because I thought they had set up a pretty good story of AJ keeping people out and then they would fight their way back in and it just it didn't happen. So yeah, if if they make it in somehow and eliminate AJ, I get it. It'll be funny, cool, whatever. It's just, it, it would have been a weird... It would just kind of negate the previous couple of weeks. So yeah, it was surprising. I, I thought someone would get over AJ to get into the Rumble and kind of create a storyline going in, but uh, I guess they're not doing that. That's exactly what I thought would happen. I don't know who it would have been exactly, but Xavier Woods or, I mean, I know he's embroiled in another storyline right now, but you figure someone else can get a win over Styles to get in and it just never happened. So uh, midway through the show, with zero prior promotion, they announced that Edge is going to be joining them to update his injury status. And as soon as they did that, I knew what was going to happen. I was going to predict on today's episode, it's been something that I've thought about for the last couple of weeks. It was going to be part of my Royal Rumble preview. I was going to predict that Edge was going to be a surprise entrant in the Royal Rumble again, given the clock on his surgery lined up perfectly. When he got injured, I think it was back in June, you and I had the conversation. We, we narrowed it down. So when he might come back, we said, hey, it could happen at WrestleMania. But it really was the Royal Rumble, the date where he was going to get cleared again, ironically. So I was ready for it. It would have been a nice surprise. Would it have been a huge surprise at the Royal Rumble? No, especially because there's not fans. But he had already made that surprise return last year. So you didn't really need 
it to be a big reaction, for him to be a surprise again. But instead of it being a surprise, they just gave it away on Raw. And man, they do this shit so frequently, not just with people returning, with debuts. They had Bianca Belair like debut at WrestleMania last year before she actually debuted on Raw. They, they just, they do this so frequently. And as a viewer, I hate it. I don't understand why they insist on giving away pay-per-view surprises on television. Why would you not save this for the match? Why not reward your freaking fans for watching the pay-per-view, especially if there's an opportunity we're going to talk about in a moment for Edge to win the entire thing? That's how you create big moments. That's how you pop people and make headlines. Not like this. All of that said, Chris, Edge cut a great promo. And I thought it was really solid that he had to drop the title after his neck injury years ago. He needs to get it back. So he has reason and motivation to enter the Royal Rumble. All of that was great. But just giving it away, to me, unnecessary and unforced error. Yeah, I mean, if it was up to me, I wouldn't promote... I wouldn't promote any appearances <laughs> in wrestling. I'd make everything a surprise because every week you don't know what's going to happen, who's going to show up. Um, I, I get that sometimes, you know, they, they want to do these things and, and to pop a rating or to do whatever. Uh, but I, I I don't get it. It's a great promo. Edge could cut the day after the Rumble, assuming he doesn't win the Rumble. He could still lose the Rumble and cut that promo the next day, basically and say he he pushed back to get in the rumble because he only has so much time left to try to win the championship, you know. Exactly. You just you just do it the next day. I And again, this is in a rumble where there are not going to be many surprises, I don't think. So you give away one of them just like that. Who it, are are people buying the rumble because they know Edge is in it now and they weren't before? I I doubt it. You know, I, I feel like these things are marginal. So Again, you're right. I think an unforced error is is a good way to put it. It just really is. And they and they keep doing it. And I I don't know what data they have that tells them it's a good idea. Speaking of giving stuff away, on the special WWE backstage that we're getting Saturday, which will be fun. Great to see Renee Paquette, Renee Young back in that role. They're going to be telling us the number one and two entrance for the women's rumble and the number 30 entrant for the men's rumble. These are not things I want to know before the pay-per-view. I want to see the match start and be surprised. Oh, wow, that's interesting that this person's one and two. And you anticipate the number 30. You don't know who that's going to be. Who's going to be the last entrant? Who haven't they, who hasn't been in the match yet, right? Right. I don't understand why you're giving these things away. I don't know what telling us who number 30 is going to be, how that gets people interested in watching the pay-per-view. I mean, what are they going to say? It's Seth Rollins. And then you're like, oh, okay. So now you're ruining his comeback as well. By the way, I do expect him to come back at the Royal Rumble. But I, I just, I, I don't understand the motivation to do these things when the pay-per-view should be the moment every month or really four times a year, the big shows, where you're rewarding your fans for sitting through some of the shitty storylines and and taking the journey with you to this point where you then deliver them a match that exceeds expectations. Royal Rumble 2020, maybe the greatest Royal Rumble of all time. They're not going to match that this year, but they're certainly not going to match it 
like giving shit away before the event even starts. Here, here's what I'll say about this one. At least I, I can at least see the business reason for doing this. They're saying, hey, you got to tune into WWE backstage if you want to get this answer. So they're directing someone to another product uh, that they have. Maybe something people haven't checked out before and they'll check it out the first time. I don't know the status of backstage because I know they canceled it, you know, with with stuff. And is it back full time? The deal is, I think that they're just all still under contract. And when the circumstances present themselves, they are able okay. to do a show. Like so, Renee Young is still under contract with Fox, not with WWE. Okay. So if, if I guess if, if backstage had still been a weekly show or if this was the bump or something like that, where it was something they want to get more fans eyes on, on a regular basis, this would be a way to do it. But I guess if this is just kind of a one-off, maybe not. So it's kind of weird. I, I just find it strange the way that they've, I mean, they've done a good job building the Royal Rumble. I'm just being honest, but Stuff like this to me is unforgivable. And I saw people tweet me, Edge made his big return last year, so we don't need it again. Uh, no, but wouldn't it be kind of cool for number 13 to ding and then Edge comes out and you're like, oh, right, that's awesome. He's back. He's healthy. Yeah. Like, no. I want that reaction. I don't want like to know now this, that he's, this going, is, he's in the match. I have major arguments with my friends and even my wife about spoilers on TV shows on all the time. With the, yeah. with the way with the way the Mandalorian ended, my wife had looked up the ending before it happened and was like waiting for my reaction. And like, know, why would you do that? I I I, I, that. I I hate it. I do not understand people who look up spoilers. And this is not the same thing, but this is WWE giving it away. Like the surprise and the emotion is what is the best part of wrestling. So I I don't understand giving that away for the Rumble, which is when which is the, the, the culmination of, of all the, the climax of all the, 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 the suspense. You do, you never get anywhere near this kind of suspense as you do in the rumble. And it's, it's um, yeah. Frustrating that they're going to give so much of it away. By the way, whenever I hear someone, and I know I've used the word culminate twice on the show, but whenever I hear someone use the full word culmination, I always think back to uh, American pie. <laughs> when they go culmination, like he like repeats after him. <laughs> I should maybe get that uh, that sound drop for the show because that's okay. that's a damn good one. It pops me every single time. There you go. I do it every time. All right, we do have a DM slide here from Nick Flynn at nflynn underscore seventeen. By the way, folks, I told you start sending DM slides and tweets. You did, and I'm following through with putting them back on the show. So my bad for for all that time that we didn't have you guys contributing. We're back. Send in those DM slides. Send in those tweets. Your questions will be asked on the show. Nick asks with the four different rosters. Not sure if 205 is its own roster. It's not really. It's kind of NXT. Uh, and the amount of talent spread between them. Should WWE consider permanently expanding the amount of participants in the Royal Rumble match? So this is a good question. And it's something that I see talked about and asked frequently. The Women's Royal Rumble at 30, it's solid. You could even make an argument it's a little too big. Although the roster is now growing to the level where 30 is totally fine for the women. 30 for the men is too few. There are a lot of people who will not be competing in this match that I would otherwise like to see. Now, I'm going to say some names here, and I'm kind of just pulling them, and I could be wrong, and they may end up being in the match. But we don't have Chad Gable in this match. We don't have Montez Ford or Angelo Dawkins. We don't have Robert Roode. There, there, I, I could keep going. There are people who you want to definitely see. I think Ricochet, obviously, right? Because he didn't win that qualification match. We're not going to have Ricochet in a Royal Rumble. That's ridiculous. 
So where all of these, where are these people? Cedric Alexander, Shelton Benjamin. They've announced 17 of the 30 entrants already. Edge, Dolph Ziggler, Sami Zayn, Mustafa Ali, Jeff Hardy, Cesaro, Otis, Shinsuke Nakamura, Sheamus, AJ Styles, Jey Uso, John Morrison, The Miz, Bobby Lashley, Daniel Bryan, Big E, and Randy Orton. That's not bad, but that's announced. You, there's 13 wrestlers easily on the active roster who you could just add to that, giving you that additional space for 10 nostalgia, surprise, NXT, you know, whatever the case might be. So for me, I think the Men's Royal Rumble should go to 40. It needs to never, ever, ever go to 50 again, like the greatest Royal Rumble. That was, it took forever and that was brutal. But could it go to 40? I think it could. It, um, it was, it was 40, like once or twice way back when, I think. One, uh, they did one of them that was the quote unquote largest Royal Rumble ever. Like two years before they actually did the greatest Royal Rumble. Yeah, I don't don't know who won it. Was it Del Del Rio or Seamus or something? I don't remember who won that one. But yeah, they have done it because I think it it, it would allow you to, you know, break the record of longest Rumble participant or something like that. I I, I think you got it. I mean, we saw the greatest Royal Rumble at 50. That felt like a little bit too much. Um, I'm all for it, frankly. It's, It's 10 more, however many more. You know, it, it, it suspenseful moments, and and I, I I'm fine with more of them. So yeah, and, and you talk about how how big the roster is and, and everything like that. I I see no reason, uh, I see no reason not to. I just look at it like we have 17 of 30 announced with no NXT names. You're gonna get at least like three or four from NXT. That puts you at t- over 20. There's people who are conspicuous by their absences, and you want a couple big surprises. So. For me, you know, I just think it's easy to go to 40 with the roster that you have. You could easily put like a Walter in there from NXT UK or a couple of those guys as well, cruiserweights. I think you could easily do 40 for the men and it would work. Some people would say it's too long. I'm down for it. That's basically what I'm it, 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 it rarely feels, it never feels long until everybody is, everybody's through the match. I mean, every minute or whatever, you're getting... A new thing. It's it, it it freshens up every ninety seconds or whatever it is. So, it it it, it generally never it doesn't feel that long until, unless it's after everybody's in it. Absolutely. Now, as far as this match goes for twenty twenty one, I did say already. I don't necessarily know that twenty twenty was the best Royal Rumble of all time, but it's in the conversation, and I kind of have it up there. It probably my top yeah. two. That's how good it was last year. So they are really fighting against something that was perfectly booked one year ago to try to meet or exceed that. That's going to be difficult to do. But I've been back and forth on what's going to happen in the men's match over the last two weeks. At first, I was sure a SmackDown superstar would be going over, especially considering how they've built up Daniel Bryan. But now thinking about it, it seems like SmackDown has been setting up for an elimination chamber. When you consider the gauntlet match, the momentum behind Brian, Shinsuke, Cesaro, Biggie, and others on that brand. Cesaro's actually gotten booking recently. That's not unlike what Drew McIntyre got before the Royal Rumble last year. Then you look at Raw, and you have Keith Lee, who's missed TV recently, but perhaps that's on purpose, out of sight, out of mind. You have Sheamus being built stronger, and you now have Edge declaring for the Royal Rumble. 
I think there are so many legitimate possibilities here to go in either direction. I'll give a pick in a little bit, but I think I've narrowed it down to Edge, which may be a surprise to some, Daniel Bryan and Keith Lee, unless we get a true surprise and Brock Lesnar shows up for the match. So based on everything I just said, how are you leaning right now? Exactly what you said. Um, for a while, I had been thinking Dan O'Brien. But I think, along with what you said, SmackDown is setting up for an elimination chamber. Um, if we think Bianca Belair is winning the Women's Rumble, you know, does, are they going to have two SmackDown people win both Rumbles? I, I, I'm not sure. Um, exactly. I have said... For a while, even I think when the Goldberg thing got announced that I think Brock's going to come back and Drew will face him in front of a crowd this time at this year's WrestleMania. So uh, maybe maybe that means it's a surprise Brock entrance and, and he wins it. Um, it's kind of weird to call that when he's not in the match that we know of. He's not even in the company. But I, I think that's what I'm I saying. Think, he's I, not even signed right now. Yeah. Right. So I, I think it. um I think it sets up the way you said that those are those are the options, I, I, I think, as well. I think you can throw in Sheamus in there just yeah. because they've been building the storyline with Drew McIntyre. But, I mean, I don't know who else would be. I mean, Roman obviously is the champion. Rollins hasn't been on TV. You could have him come back and win. but And while I do expect him to come back in the match, I do. I don't think he's going to win it. If I was booking it myself, if we're booking the damn territory, it should be Daniel Bryan winning the Royal Rumble. It just should be. He should win the event that he lost when fans wanted him to win, that started the fans' distrust and hatred for Roman Reigns being overbooked. It really hit an apex in that match. And you have a ready-made storyline that you can tell over a number of months to take you into WrestleMania. It's the perfect storyline. And with Daniel Bryan clearly sooner than later cutting back from a full-time schedule, which he's not even doing right now, but from a frequently on television schedule to a truly part-time schedule, you kind of say to yourself, well, this could be that big WrestleMania moment. His last truly big WrestleMania moment. Even if Roman Reigns wins and retains the title. Uh, so I agree. Agree, and I mean that's why whatever happens, I think we're getting Roman versus Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania. But here's the thing, and this is what I was going to say before I was so rudely interrupted. Which no, I'm I'm kidding. Uh, but they can still do that Mania match, which is what you're saying, if he wins the Elimination Chamber. Right, right. But that's a missed opportunity to tell the perfect story. That could still be a really good story. That could still be eight out of ten. But the only way you get to 10 out of 10 Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan, is by starting it in the Royal Rumble. Do you agree? I agree. If I, if I was picking what I want to happen, that's my pick. It, it's Daniel Bryan winning the Rumble. That, that, that's what I want to happen for the reasons you just said. The story's right there. Makes all the sense in the world. If, if that's, what, that's what I want to happen. Yeah. What I think what is, you, what I think is going to happen yeah, is different. And because... This is pro wrestling, and we have to think about all the non-kayfabe stuff that comes into all of this. We think about, oh, yeah, SmackDown is setting up an Elimination Chamber match. Oh, if, if Bianca Belair wins, would they have two SmackDown people win it? And as a result, I think my pick is Brock Lesnar. Interesting. So just going completely 
with a surprise. Yes, because I, I, I think we're getting to McIntyre, Lesnar, WrestleMania, and if if Daniel Bryan's not going to win it, I think this is this is the way this is the way they do it. Now, if it is Lesnar, I think the immediate reaction from people will be anger because he won the Money in the Bank when that should have been used to put someone over. He'll then win the Royal Rumble when it should have been used to put someone over. But the parallel going year over year where McIntyre won and then got to face Lesnar, and then let's not forget last year, Lesnar entered at number one. And the goal was to prove his dominance and show that no one can beat him and beat everyone in the company. And he didn't actually do that. He didn't succeed. So he does have storyline motivation to not only re-enter the Royal Rumble, but to do so in order to face Drew McIntyre. So I think it would be great booking. And I would not be angry, even though I say on this podcast, the best use of Brock Lesnar and Goldberg and all these guys is in non-title matches. But if you're going to have Drew McIntyre already having beaten Randy Orton and beaten almost everyone else on Raw, that it feels like as of today would make sense as a WrestleMania opponent. And then you have him beat Goldberg at the Royal Rumble. Who's really left for him to fight? Brock Lesnar. That's it. Maybe The Fiend, but he doesn't want that and nor should any of us. In talking outside of of kayfabe is that last year was supposed to be the crowning moment for McIntyre. He was supposed to have the stadium full of people cheering for him over Brock Lesnar. And I think they want to give, and I think they want to give that to him. Oh, uh, so you think he'd win at WrestleMania? Yes. Ooh, I don't see, I don't even know about that. We may I, be putting the cart before the horse. I, I might be, I, I might be, I don't even I might know, be I don't, I don't know that he would win. Right out here. I I'm think, just saying, I don't know that he would win. I think they want to set up the moment that they wanted to give him last year. That's my prediction on what I think is going to happen. That's why I think it plays out that way. So I'm in a tough spot making an actual prediction here because I, I have felt so strongly about Daniel Bryan for such a long time. And we said, hey, if it's not Bryan, maybe it's Biggie, right? I just don't think that Keith Lee winning this, I would love it. I'm a big Keith Lee fan. I don't know that he's built to a spot where him against Drew McIntyre at WrestleMania is a big money match, especially because they already gave it away on television and it was great. I similarly, despite them telling the friend storyline, don't know that Sheamus versus Drew McIntyre is a big money match. I think there's two possibilities here when I really narrow it down. One is Daniel Bryan actually winning despite all of our concerns. The other is Edge actually winning because Edge versus Drew McIntyre may be moving McIntyre or Edge, really either of them, into a bit of a tweener role and having Edge take the title off McIntyre at WrestleMania, it actually makes a lot of sense to me. It does. The other thing that could happen here, let's not forget we have Randy Orton in this match. Orton, I am expecting, I'm assuming you do as well, expecting The Fiend to interfere in some way and cost Randy Orton. Yeah, probably. I'm going to say that again because you something happened. Yeah, sorry, I was yawning. So the other thing is we have Randy Orton. Now I'll start again. The other thing is we have Randy Orton in this match. 
I at least expect the Fiend to interfere and cost him. However, if that does not happen, another option is for Edge to cost Randy Orton and basically reignite their feud, although it doesn't seem like Orton is yet done with the Fiend. So I don't know exactly how they would do that, but that is a possibility where we can get Edge Orton at WrestleMania, not for the title, but the culmination of culmination of that feud that we never, I mean, we did, we got plenty of matches between them, but we never actually thought it ended, if that makes sense. No, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I think will happen too, is that we get Edge Orton out of the Rumble, um, potentially, if it involves The Fiend, I'm not sure. Uh, But Edge McIntyre would make all the sense in the world. I thought coming out of last year's WrestleMania that Edge should get involved with McIntyre in some form and either be one of his first title defenses or be, be a SummerSlam match. So uh, it's it's a big money match. Like you said, it's, it's definitely something that I, I think could happen. So ultimately I will go with, I always stick to my guns when it comes to predictions. You guys know that. I'm going to go with Daniel Bryan winning, but if I was a betting man, which I am, uh, and was putting money on the Royal Rumble, which I don't do, I don't bet on wrestling despite betting on other things. I would have a ticket in on Edge. I I think he is as likely to win as maybe Daniel Bryan is, at least in my prediction world. And an Edge-Drew McIntyre match at WrestleMania makes all of the sense in the world. And Daniel Bryan winning through the Elimination Chamber or Shinsuke Nakamura winning through the Elimination Chamber makes a lot of sense for the SmackDown side. But I'm going to kind of stick with SmackDown being so strong and booked so smartly with long-term booking held in such esteem that we cannot forget the issues Daniel Bryan had with Jey Uso and Roman Reigns a few months ago. And it would make all the sense in the world to book the best possible WrestleMania storyline for the entire company. And that storyline is Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan. I'm going to say that they actually pulled the trigger. I hope so. Like I said, I, I, I would like Daniel Bryan to win, I think, more than anybody else. I think the Edge idea is certainly up there as a top two, top three possibility. But I'm going to go kind of on a limb and I think in, in pick Brock. I think it's a good pick. I think it's exceedingly likely. I do find it strange we've heard nothing about Brock Lesnar for the better part of, I guess, five or six months, whenever. I think his deal ended in October or something like that. Whenever his deal ended, we have not heard a peep from or about him since. It would not be surprising to see Brock Lesnar in this match. We have a lot of professional wrestling podcasting left for you this week. On a whim, I have decided to add an additional show this Wednesday. What are we going to talk about on that show? Well, we're going to have an interview with a big time WWE superstar. And I'll also find a little bit of time to talk about this superstar spectacle that aired on WWE Network as we taped this podcast, which apparently is getting rave reviews. It was done for Indian fans, people from the country of India, and a lot of Indian superstars are featured. Apparently it was really good. So we will have an interview episode with a very short recap of the superstar spectacle on Wednesday. Then the Getting Over Wrestling podcast will be back Thursday, as you know, to talk all things NXT and AEW Dynamite, And don't you dare forget that we will be back Sunday, minutes after the 2021 Royal Rumble is off the air to do 
instant analysis. Very special feature here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. You, you don't need to do anything after watching the Royal Rumble. We need to do everything, and that is tape an instant analysis podcast where we will break down every match, every storyline, and discuss what WWE is doing to kick off the road to WrestleMania. I cannot wait to bring all of you this audio throughout the remainder of the week. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast to know every single time a new episode is published, to follow us as we talk about these shows, as we watch them live and to join our pre- and post-show polls for the Royal Rumble. And do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts. Drop a five-star rating and review. Let people know how much you love this show and help us grow. It was a long episode, but guess what? The content deserved it. Not only did we have WWE's deal with Peacock and NBC Universal, but we had an entire Ultimate Preview for the 2021 WWE Royal Rumble. With that, the Silver King is going to say goodbye for himself and Vintage Christmas. That means I'm just going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.